You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. I'm Perry Romanowski, cosmetic chemist and one and half of the Beauty Brains, and with me as always, Randy Schuler. How's it going, Randy? Hey, everybody. Good, Perry. Happy uh, 150th anniversary. Yeah, this is episode 150. I mean, aren't we the hardest working podcasters in the beauty business? We are definitely the hardest working cosmetic science podcasters, no doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've got a big show today. Uh, we've got a little bit of beauty science news. Mm. And then we're going to go through and uh, answer some beauty questions that were sent in. Uh, we'll talk about micellular water. Oh. Can't wait for that talk. Oh. And a little bit about vitamin C and whether the boosters actually work. So we've got a lot going on there. Um, and we could do some of our banal chit-chat if we had anything. I, let's skip the banality today. Let's get right to it. Wait, before that, I wanted to talk about something that I saw, which is very troubling to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, what's that? Well, one of my favorite uh, websites is going to be going away. Is this the Gawker thing? No, no, not Gawker. Uh, drugstore.com. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, I frequently go there for ingredient listings. Uh, it's a great place. It's uh, drugstore.com. It's also beauty.com is going away. Hmm. I mean, this this is a great place. To, yeah, I didn't I didn't really buy anything from them. So well, probably but for figures. research purposes. For research, it was great. You know what happened? They were bought out by Walgreens. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Walgreens bought them out, and now they're shutting them down at the uh, end of September, September 30th. So go to uh, drugstore.com and just take a look around and uh, be sad that they'll be gone. I know I am. I think you're now brushing up against some banality. You're getting close (laughs) to it. So On the cusp of banality. (laughs) Well, why don't you play that intro song for our uh, beauty science news? Yeah, I'll take the first story. I, I thought this was in, uh, an innovation that's really kind of cool. It's a self-cleaning hairbrush. Uh, it's got like little robots on it. Which <laughs> no, not your not your nanobot idea. This is a little different. Uh, this comes to us uh, from the scientists at Ohio State University. Go Buckeyes! And sure. they have just dis- it's, a, it's a, the Ohio State. Yeah, University. the Ohio State, of course. Yeah, but you're supposed to emphasize but the the the. <laughs> Ohio yeah. State University. Do you ever watch college football? No, no. When is that? When is that on? What time is that on? Uh, it just it just started last weekend. Oh, okay. I'll have to check that out. Is that, is that on Netflix? Can I get that? <laughs> All right. So anyway, these guys discovered that uh, a lot of people apparently throw their hairbrushes away because they're so hard to clean, right? They get clogged up with hair and gunk, and so it's like, ah, screw this. I'm just going to throw it away. Which means, you know, hairbrushes are really a sustainability issue. Yeah, we have like landfills, you know, filling fill up, up the things. landfills with hairbrushes. So um, the Ohio State University researchers designed a 3D printed hairbrush that has a flexible backbone. So you simply like bend back the top part of the handle and the bristles okay. move forward. And then you can easily just pull out all the hair. Right. Then you let go of it, snaps back into place. So very clever. I, I think it's extremely clever. Now, right now, the university is looking for marketing partners to bring this thing, you know, to commercialize it. Uh, but I can't wait to see this hit the market. And I, I would suggest it may make a good gift for Mrs. Romanowski. 
she does have a lot of hair. Because <laughs> uh, I, I know because I just cleaned out our drain from her sink. In okay. The bathroom. <laughs> Too much information. <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know, 3D printing, it just shows you that is the, the future of these sorts of things. And uh, perhaps the folks at Goody will uh, oh, yeah, there uh, you go. Yeah. look into, into commercializing this. I remember when I was a kid, I, this is back in, in high school, you'd always have a, a comb in your back pocket. Oh, right. And my, my, comb, my comb of choice was a Goody comb. Ah, there you go. Today's show brought to you by Goody. <laughs> Not yet, but if you're listening, Goody. <laughs> hey, Randy, uh, the mid-year beauty brand rankings are out, and I thought it would be interesting to take a look at the leaders. Um, now, did you uh, did you take a look at the leaders? I did not get a chance to read okay, that article. Okay, good, so. good, good. Oh because, no, not uh, a quiz. Then, good no, we've only got we've only got five of them. Okay. So let's see if you can guess what the top five beauty brands for 2016 are. And now, before you get the guessing, um, this was put together by the YouGov Brand Index which is a company that's supposedly an authority on measuring brand perception. So they measure public perception of thousands of different types of brands across all kinds of categories. And the, the way they do this is by interviewing thousands of customers every day. Uh, and of course, it's done globally. Uh, so they, they recently published the, beauty, the top beauty brands. And here is how they got these rankings. This is what the rankings are. Okay. They asked this consumers this specific question. If, have, if you've heard anything about the brand in the last two weeks through advertising, news, or word of mouth, was it positive or negative? Hmm. And then from the answers of that, so if you've heard of it, is it positive or negative? If you the answers you get that, they get some sort of beauty brand index. So hmm. I'm can not you sure take I, a guess? At, I'm not sure I agree with that methodology. It right. seems a little off, but okay, sure, whatever. Well, this is what they do. All right, so based on that methodology, can you guess who might be in the top five of beauty brands? Uh, Smashbox. <laughs> no, I will give you the, the here. Here is one thing. Unsurprisingly, the top spots are held by traditional beauty brands. Oh, really? Oh. Published by you know, uh, produced by P and G okay. and Unilever. All right. All right. So here is the top five. All right. Number five, mm-hmm. our good friend Pantene. Oh, oh back at number one. Okay. Uh, well, num- no, number five. Oh, sorry, <laughs> reverse order. I always get that screwed up. Go. They have a score of 12.6. Okay. Uh, incidentally, the scores can range anywhere from plus 100 to minus 100. So that 12.6 gives you an idea of, of how that fits in. Number four was Neutrogena. Mm-hmm. They had a score of 14. Okay. Olay, Olay was the next highest buzz score. Uh, we say the Olay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, their good pals Head and Shoulders mm-hmm. uh, had a score of 14.7. And the number one beauty brand thus far in 2016 mm-hmm. with a score of 16.8, <laughs> Dove. <laughs> Unilever, yeah. Yeah. Now, they also had a, a listing of brands that had the most improved scores, and the only different ones on there were um, L'Oreal Paris. They improved most from last year, and MAC Cosmetics. Mm-hmm. But still... It's, I guess it, what I find most interesting is that the big brands still dominate still the minds dominate, of consumers, yeah. right? How did uh, Smashbox do? Uh, it, it was not on the top top fives. <laughs> I gotta say that's one of the least interesting surveys you've ever talked about on the program. I Come just, on, I, I was looking. I looked hard and far for uninteresting I surveys. I don't like that survey at all. But you did, you know, you did mention a couple of hair care brands, and I do have some shocking new information on hair loss that I thought I would share with our listeners. 
Oh, really? Yeah. So first, let me just say that in discussing this next article, I intend no disrespect to our follicularly challenged male listeners, but science says bald guys, less attractive. Oh, my God. Really? I, I think this falls into that category of another one of those scientific surveys that we probably didn't really need to waste money on. Uh, but nonetheless, it was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Facial and Plastic Surgery. Facial well, that's a, that so, is a, the JAMA uh, you know, journal. That's top notch. Yeah, absolutely. And the study uh, attempted to answer the question, does how much hair a man has matter in how he is perceived? Now, the researcher, who, by the way, is from Johns Hopkins, so no slouch there, sure, sure. Uh, surveyed 122 people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's one, two, two, uh, and found that men with more hair were rated as more youthful, attractive, successful, and approachable. Huh. Now, my, my favorite quote from the article said that the, quote, limitations of the study include its small population and study design. So other than that, it's solid data. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was going to shave off all the hair on my back, but now I'm not going to. <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't, it, they didn't look at body hair. This was just the scalp hair. It was just scalp hair. Oh, oh, I thought just overall hair. No, 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 just on, no. on the head. Uh, I mean, 122 people, we could do a better job than that using our email list and survey monkey. Uh, I, I would have thought that the billion dollar hair growth industry might have been a clue that having hair on your head is desirable. But nonetheless, now we have scientific proof. All right. Science answering the questions that you don't have. <laughs> Hey, you know what's coming out of our favorite uh, country for beauty trends, South Korea? Love the Korean beauty trend, yeah. I mean, are there the, the facial mask came out of there, the BB cream, the snail slimes. They're, they're, <laughs> they're leaders in the industry, that's what I hear, yeah. And they also have the uh, uh, the massage parlors where you could put a boa constrictor on yourself or something. Those, yeah, those are going that, uh, global, but yeah. Exactly. Well, anyway, researchers there have now launched a cosmetic line or a cosmetic ingredient using an antibiotic substance found in a species of centipede. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these centipedes have apparently long been used in traditional Korean medicines, you know, but now this knowledge has been applied to cosmetics. Hmm. You know, you can see the... uh, the cosmetic marketer saying, you guys got any sort of good ingredients we can use that nobody's ever used before? Centi- well, I got this centipede, centipede poo. You know? centipede. Oh, it's centipede poop? Well, it's an extract, so maybe it's vomit. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so some centipede bodily fluid. That's as specific right. as we're going to get. Okay. Well, the extract is known as scolopenraisin, and it's a peptide excreted by the centipedes to fight bacteria. Ah, So I guess it's probably a, maybe it's sweat or vomit or something. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I thoroughly research every story. (laughs) Well, scientists believe that it's been proven as an effective treatment for atoptic uh, dermatitis. And they say that they have two companies that are in the process of commercializing products using this centipede ingredient, which made me think, I wonder, like, what kind of brand names might they use for this? <laughs> so so I, I came up with this. See if any of these, these hit you. Right. Centilotion. Nah, no. nah, not so much. How about this? Sensations. Oh, I like that one. 
<laughs> Didn't we have a VO5 line called Sensation? <laughs> we did. It was spelled differently, but yeah. Okay. Right, of course, of course. And now here's my favorite. Scent Impede, the brand that stops Ooh. bacteria in its tracks. Scent so. Impede. That's actually, that's the winner. I would trade, uh, trademark that right now. Stop recording. Go trademark. I'm going to go get that uh, domain name, scentimpede.com. There you go. Well, thank you to our researchers in Korea for yet more innovation in the beauty industry. Hey, you know, speaking of poop, remember back in, it was back in episode 46, I talked about my idea for a smartphone app that would take a picture of poop and then identify what animal it comes from or what insect, I guess. Remember that? Was, I, that, was that your uh, ill-fated app, ratemypoo.com? That, that was, who's, who was whose poop is it? But the reason, ah, I gotcha. think the reason it failed is because of the name. So I have a new name. I just want to run this by you because since we're doing naming today. I want to, right. I want to rebrand it. I want to call it Poop de jour. <laughs> it sounds like a, a fancy mustard. All right, very good. Right. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's just change topics now. I want to talk about uh, SPF, which you know typically stands for sun protection factor, but yeah. I, I think it can also mean savory poultry fun, uh, because it was in the <laughs> it was in the news this week that fast food giant KFC now has a sunscreen that smells like fried chicken. Uh, did you see this? I did this, see this, yeah, this, actually. This it made me, me hungry for chicken. It's a, uh, it's a promotional stunt, obviously, for their extra crispy chicken, and, and their website tells us the only skin that should be crispy this summer is on your fried chicken. And I mean, it's a real product. I mean, it's actually, right. it's, a, it's a legit sunscreen. It's just funny the way they market it, and they describe it, it, it the way it works. Here's what they say. Harmful ultraviolet lights, sorry, harmful ultraviolet rays bounce off your skin while the lovely fragrance rays penetrate it to give you a healthy chicken aroma. <laughs> <laughs> so it smells like chicken, and, and it protects you. So. Apparently. I, I just thought that was so creative of them. Sort of random, but creative nonetheless. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like, what was their motivation? Like, what said, wait, Kentucky Fried Chicken, UV protection? Let's bring them together. A and people are talking about it. It was in the news. I, that's why. It's brilliant. Yeah. Hey, uh, you remember our cosmetic chemist, uh, Colin Sanders, you know, who runs Colin's Beauty Pages? Oh, sure, sure. Do you think he's related to Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken? <laughs> Colin, if you're, Colin, if you're listening, send us your, your family tree. We want to look at this. I, th I think he pronounces it Saunders. Ah, whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't, damn, I don't really know that. I just Brits. made that up. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, we're running a little long on stories. So should we head out to uh, questions? Yeah, we'll save the rest of the news for next week. And uh, let's get to our cosmetic questions. So today's first question is an audio sound question, and it comes to us from Taylor. Hi, beauty brains. This is Taylor Campbell calling from Hagensack, New Jersey. I have a question about micellar water. Seems like every ad is mentioning a micellar water and its claims that it's multitasking. It's a cleanse and soothe um, makeup remover and it's also like a cleansing tool where you can use it without having to, I guess, wash your face afterwards. I want to know what's the hype about it. Is this something that marketers are just trying to put on us as something new? Is this an ingredient that's been used for years in products? Um, it says it's been developed um, by years in the beauty industry, a gentle, super effective formulations um, that comes with tiny molecules in the solution, grab onto dirt and grime and are easily lifted away in one clean swipe. Skin is left cleansed, refreshed and makeup free, even stubborn eye makeup. 
Thanks, Taylor. It's always nice to welcome a new listener to the fold. Um, so these micellar waters are actually named after a technical term, micelle. So before we talk about the products, we should explain what that term means. Yeah, this uh, whole micelle uh, trend I always found very amusing because I do know about the science of it. It turns out micelles are structures that are formed when a surfactant is dissolved in a solution of water. So remember that surfactants, which is short for surface active agents, uh, they're ingredients used in beauty products as cleansers and also as emulsifiers that are going to help you mix oils and water-soluble ingredients. If you look at the chemical structure of surfactants, they typically have a what we call a long oil-soluble tail, typically a chain of carbon atoms, and then a water-soluble polar head group. And I, you know, I remember when we used to do educational programs for either marketing or the beauty editors, uh, Perry, and he's, you're quite the artist, would always draw these structures out, you know, to give some, um, uh, to make the slides a little more festive. But every time you would draw surfactant molecules, they ended up looking like sperm. <laughs> well, I think it's because my penchant for whenever I draw anything, I, I put big bug eyes on them. So. <laughs> yeah, just like real sperm. I don't. So the, the term, you know, sperminated water doesn't quite have the same cachet. I don't, can, we, can we even say sperm on the podcast? I don't even know. I, I think so, but we might have to put explicit. Ah, on the, okay. All right. Anyway, continue. Well, when surfactants are present in water at certain concentrations, of course, they begin to assemble into larger structures based on the water-soluble and oil-soluble parts of the molecules. And so the oil-soluble tails will try to group together to get themselves as far away from the water as possible. Yeah. And then the water-loving uh, parts will sort of get themselves all together mm -hmm. to get as close to water as possible. So the lowest energy state for them is to have all the tails together so they're shielded from the water by the polar head groups, which again is water-soluble. So you can think of this as a ball or sphere of surfactant molecules with the heads on the outsides and the tails facing on the inside. Yeah, because that's the, the lowest energy state for these molecules to want to exist in. So exactly. these 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 balls or these spheres of surfactants are called micelles. So that's where the name comes from. And the concentration of surfactant required to form them is called the critical micelle concentration or the CMC. These things don't form until there are enough of the surfactants in water. So if you're below that concentration, you just have free floating surfactants. Exactly. Well, micelles have a couple of useful properties. First, uh, for cleansing, uh, the the oil-soluble tails, when they're put onto the surface of skin or hair, they'll interact with any sort of oil or dirt that's there, and then that can be washed away. And so they work great for that. But they also work for when you're putting a, a formula together and you want to include a nice oily material like an emollient, which is going to provide benefit to the skin, you can mix the uh, oils with water. Normally you can't mix oil with water, but when you put a uh, surfactant in there, it'll create a micelle around the oil and that will allow the, the oil to mix with the water and then you can deliver that to the skin or hair. Yeah, that's the basis of, I mean, any product that's a, a cream or a lotion form is using that principle. That exactly. what the micelles do. Now, the other thing they do is that um, this structure helps reduce the irritation potential of certain, surfra uh, certain surfactants. Um, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, but because of micelle formulation, because of micelle formation, a surfactant may actually be more irritating at a lower concentration. 
And that's because, again, before you hit that CMC, the critical micelle concentration level, you have free surfactant molecules floating around. Those are free to interact with your skin. Once you get to yeah. that level where they self-assemble into these spherical structures, then they're less likely to interact with your skin. So you can actually lower irritation that way. Yeah, so when they're tied up in micelles, lowers the irritation, and that brings us back to the micellar waters. All right, so the idea is that micellular waters are milder or better for your skin somehow because the surfactants are tied up in micelles. I think these products are more likely to be mild because they don't use harsh surfactants in the first place, but and the micelles don't have much to do with it. But <laughs> right, right, it's a secondary issue. By the way, do you say micellar waters or micellular waters, which sounds like a phone brand. <laughs> I'm just questioning the pronunciation. That's all. I'm sorry. Hey, man, <laughs> that's just my Chicago accent. But you're right. If you look at the ingredient list for these products that, that claim to be micellar waters, they tend not to use those traditional high foaming surfactants. So instead, they use a combination of non-ionic surfactants, which just automatically as a class of material tend to be milder on skin. And one of the most common non-ionic surfactants used in these products is one called Paloxomer 184. So you would see that on the ingredient list. Yeah. Now this ingredient is made up of units of polyoxyethylene, uh, followed by a unit of polyoxypropylene, uh, followed by a unit of polyoxyethylene. So it's uh, essentially, it's a long polymer, right? Yeah. And it reduces the surface tension and helps lift away dirt. Some versions of poloxomer can give the skin a soft and smooth appearance. Yeah, in, in most, if not all, these micellar waters, they recommend you, you don't have to rinse them. So if you're leaving that polymer behind on the skin, you'll get a bit of a film formation from it that can, can give you that benefit. Um, these products also use solvents like hexylene glycol. I've seen that in, uh, the, as the number one ingredient in almost every micellar water I've seen. And hexylene glycol can remove oily makeup all by itself, even without any surfactants, just because it right. has some solvency. And it's not harsh on skin at all. So that's, that's commonly used. And then I've even seen um, uh, a PEG6 caprylic capric glycerides used, and that serves a similar function. That is, that is a non-ionic material, but it's got some solvency to it. Right. Man, it'll have some emollient effect also. Sure. It's also important to note that some of these micellar waters do not, or they do use more traditional anionic foaming surfactants, but they are typically more mild, like the disodium cocoamphodiacetate. Yeah, you don't see those too often. You certainly wouldn't see, you know, like SLS or something like that in a micellar right. water. Although it's it's interesting to know that SLS, it forms micelles too, you know. Well, yeah. Well, I, I guess we didn't really, maybe we didn't make that clear at the outset, but I think every single cleanser on the market could claim to be a micellar water because it's forming right. micelles, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is that these products are likely to be milder than, than traditional cleansers. Uh, and unlike traditional foaming cleansers, as I said, they don't have to be rinsed. So that can even give you some, some additional afterfeel on your skin. Yeah, I have to say these companies have done a great job of marketing these products. Uh, somehow they seem so special that they should really be expensive, <laughs> right? Yeah. You have to remember micellar water that's a marketing term that's not a true technical thing i mean we would say if, if we're describing it technically we would say that you know the makeup removers has a you know surfactant levels that have met or surpassed the critical micelle concentration i, I think that as a description is even worse than sperminated water <laughs> <laughs> right this is why we were in r d right not in marketing <laughs> i mean there's nothing wrong with this concept being marketing driven just the reason we bring it up is don't be tricked into thinking you need to spend a lot of money on a product just because they give it this fancy name 
R right. These products shouldn't be that expensive, right? Um, there are some affordable uh, micellar water products on the market. You can spend, uh, you can buy uh, the product Simple. Mm -hmm. They have one that costs about a dollar per ounce. Yeah. And then, of course, you can spend a lot on a product like Lancome Eau Francais Doucher Micellar <laughs> Cleansing Water, which is six times that price. <laughs> it's certainly uh, not six times better, though, right? No, but it was, it was worth it just to hear you try and pronounce the French name. <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. So, all right, Taylor, that's the, that's the beauty brain's bottom line on micellar waters. I hope that helps you uh, navigate all the confusing marketing around this product. Did, did you just say micellular? Sometimes I do. I'm, I'm getting okay. a bad micellar connection right now. All right. All, right. All right. Do we have another question? We do. Go for it. All right. Sam posted a lengthy question about vitamin C boosters in our forum, and we love to get questions in our forum, uh, although we also love to get uh, audio recorded questions so you don't have to listen to us the entire time. Actually, we're ch maybe you didn't get the memo, but we're changing the policy from now on. Uh, the only way we can accept que uh, questions is via fax. I don't, oh. I don't make up the rules, but that's the deal. Well, it'll be good to get some use of that old dusty old fax machine here in Brains Publishing Headquarters. <laughs> well, the, the question is a little bit too long to read on air, but I'll summarize it here. Sam says, I like using Paula's Choice C15 Booster exactly as indicated, adding it to my current lotions to boost their performance. This is super convenient because it doesn't alter my existing routine, and I can mix it into my body lotion and get this serum's benefit uh, all over without going bankrupt. Wow, let me read, However, the, let me read the next part because this is long. Uh, Holy crap. Okay. okay, the question continues. However, I am super confused about how Paula's Booster actually works when mixed with other products. Since ascorbic acid requires a pH below 3.5 to be stable, how can it possibly maintain this when mixed with other products? Paula's, Paula's customer service says it was formulated with this in mind to ensure that it stays viable when mixing. The question goes on. New Fountain makes a similar product, but they say mixing it with other products will likely affect the pH and render the ascorbic acid useless. They say to apply their serum first to allow full absorption of the ascorbic acid without any chance of altering its efficacy. So what's going on? Are these two serums really radically different or is someone just wrong here? Okay, well, Sam, I'm sorry, but we're out of time, so we're not going <laughs> to be able to get to that. No, I, I think we can answer this fairly quickly, and I, and I don't think it's a question of who's right or wrong. I think it's more about degrees of correctness. Um, sure. I, I certainly understand the appeal of this booster premise. Essentially, you're turning any regular skin cream into a vitamin C treatment. So that's a great right. idea. Uh, I mean, it's another way of making a two-in-one product, but you know what we say about two-in-one products. Exactly. You may gain convenience when you make a combination product, but you're always going to compromise one benefit or the other or both. So when you try to combine two products into one, yeah. just the, the combined product is never better than the two products separate. Right, right. Now, in this case, you're going to be sacrificing some of the efficacy of the ascorbic acid to gain the convenience of quicker product application. So let's, let's break that down. There are three factors that impact the stability of ascorbic acid in a situation like this. Um, pH, as Sam said, the, the pH needs to be around 3.5 for maximum stability. Yep. The second factor is ingredient interaction. You know, it's well established that certain ingredients like oxidants and some metal ions can degrade the stability of ascorbic acid. And then the number three effect is the dilution effect. The ideal concentration of ascorbic acid is about 15 to 20%. 
Much more than that, it's going to irritate the skin, and much less than that, it's not going to be effective. So what happens when you use this booster approach? Well, you're mixing ascorbic acid serum with other products that may have you know, any or all of these three factors. Right. The pH of a typical skin lotion is anywhere in a range of uh, four to six, or yeah, that's yeah, about right. So I mean, yeah, about that. Yeah. So you're raising the pH out of the ideal range, and I don't really see how a small amount of a booster is going to lower the pH enough to have uh, an effect, right? Yeah. So if you just make sure I'm clear on that, so you've got a a lotion, you want to apply whatever on your face, on your body, and you're putting a couple of drops of vitamin C serum in there. Overall, the pH is going to buffer to that higher level so the, it won't be down around 3.5 where the ascorbic acid needs to work, right? So it does make sense that that's going to be a problem. I guess yeah, it, exactly. I guess it depends on how much you, you add. But anyway, right. uh, and you know, lotions, depending on the formula, you know, do contain oxidants and metal ions. So you could be introducing destabilizing agents when you, when you mix in your ascorbic acid to something right. else. And, you know, you're putting a few drops of a concentrated serum into a larger volume of another product. So just by definition, you're diluting your ascorbic acid. Yeah. I mean, that's all especially true in Sam's case where she said she's using it. Is it a she? I guess we don't know. Sam? Could go either way. Uh, uh, Sam's using it in a body lotion to get the benefits all over. So you're really going to have a dilution effect there. Uh, Right, exactly. All right, so we've established that the boosting approach is more likely to reduce the ascorbic acid efficacy compared to using the serum on its own. So does that make Paula's choice, uh, you know, misleading? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't think so because, uh, you know, these three factors we just talked about don't necessarily completely deactivate the ascorbic acid. They just make it less stable. So, you know, some percentage could still work. It just may not be optimal anymore. Right. And so, in other words, if, if you use the product as Paula describes, you'll get the convenience and still get some of the benefits of the vitamin C. Right. But the efficacy of the vitamin C may not be at the same level as using the serum on its own, depending, again, of course, what you mix it with. Right. So the bottom line is that, you know, both of these companies may be correct, but to different degrees. You really have to decide which benefit is more important to you. Do you want the convenience of the mixed products or the more likely efficacy of the separate products? Yeah, clearly the best approach is to use vitamin C serum by itself and apply other products later. That's less convenient, but gives you maximum efficacy. If you want to do the booster approach and mix them, you'll save some time, but you may sacrifice some quality. And, and by the way, you know, we're, we're friend, friend, very friendly with Paula and her team. And if they've got any data on this that we're not aware of, if you, know, if you guys want to reach out to us, we'd be glad to update this in a future show. All right, before we get to our last question, why don't we uh, read some of those great iTunes reviews that we always get, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You want to take the first one? Sure. Uh, Patrick Booth says, five stars. I came for the science but stayed for the banter. <laughs> Perry is a loquacious, good-natured fellow, while Randy is the somewhat curmudgeonly of the two, what? slyly that's, jabbing at Perry, which makes for a fun time. He deserves it. Sometimes I think Perry could offer Randy a nice belly rub to open him up to the audience more. Patrick, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right, Jennifer. No, thank you, Patrick. That was funny. Uh, Jenny Forever says, 
Five stars, great chemistry. These two guys bring thoughtful and well-articulated discussion to beauty. I specifically appreciate they don't use a beauty consultant, as previously suggested by another reviewer. I think this untainted take on the chemistry and utility of the products gives me the most educational and straightforward information. Ah, well, that's good to know. <laughs> uh, we got one from Kango Pie from South Africa. Cool. Uh, four stars. This is a great show. They were a bit lame, but funny all the same. <laughs> That's a compliment. <laughs> Somehow, having never met them, I trust their reviews and commentary because they look at the science. Nice. Uh, and here's one more. Uh, Just One Me says, three stars. Hmm. Whoa. Three stars. Love it when you don't take breaks. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> he, said, he or she says, uh, you take far too long on your breaks. This is the third week when you are playing repeats unacceptable it doesn't take much effort to sit and put together a good show even when on vacation you guys are too good to slack for so long so wow uh, no, first of all that's a little unfair i mean you know to give us three stars because we took a little summer break i mean to be honest i, I had some things going on personally i needed some time it was my fault not perry's um oh no it was, it was a team fault well, you know right it, it, regardless <laughs> Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm not really sure that's fair. But secondly, you know, to say it doesn't take much effort to put these shows together. <laughs> wow. It takes... I know it. Well, I know it sounds like it doesn't take much effort because we're very loose. But there is a lot that goes into creating a show. Here. There is a lot of research, you know, scripting time, putting things up on this website after. So it's a, it's a massive effort to do these shows, everybody. So Randy thanks, just thanks doesn't those... come up with the. Randy doesn't just come up with those insulting zingers on his own. He's <laughs> well, actually, no, that that part's easy. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So anybody, anyway, thanks everybody for their feedback. Please, if you haven't already, please, please, please go review us on iTunes. Right, and if you do, we might read it on air. All right. All right. Our last question comes to us from Annie, and Annie asks, "How does sea salt work to create texture in hair?" Why is it so good at creating waves? Can it be bad in any way? Yeah, there are a ton of these salt spray products on the market. They're pretty straightforward, and here's, I mean, basically here's how they work. So the salt dries on hair because these are leave-in products, and it forms a sure. coating. And because of the crystalline nature of salt, that coating has kind of a gritty feel. Right, now, right. Now, that type of coating is especially good at increasing friction between hair fibers, which is going to give you more texture. Um, by the way, you can use a sugar spray to do kind of the same thing that may be sticky in high humidity, but it's the same, same principle. Exactly. Now, I don't see any reason why it would make straight hair wavy, though, but if your hair has a natural wave, it could enhance that by creating more entanglement between the fibers, right? Yeah, this is not the kind of product that's going to change the structure of hair from straight to curly. That, that's not the case. But yeah, it could just because it's um, changing the way the fibers rub against each other, it could... Yeah. change the shape a little bit but that's probably what you're saying it's going to depend on how you dry your hair everything you know and how you style it but anyway um she asked about the negative impacts that, that sea salt can have on hair you know it's a fact of nature that water tends to move from areas of high concentration to areas of lower concentration i mean it's the principle of osmotic pressure so moisture that's inside your hair which is typically eight to fourteen percent ish um if it's dry out, that, that moisture may migrate out of your hair towards the salt layer where it would evaporate. So Right. Yeah. So that means if you, you know, have dry or porous hair, 
you might want to stay away from these salt-based styling products because the more porous your hair is, the easier it is for the moisture to eventually leach right out. Yep. Now, everything we've just said, of course, is presuming that there's really enough salt in the formula to provide this benefit. You know, I, I have seen salt sprays that, you know, claim to be salt sprays, but then the primary ingredient is a polymer like, you know, PVP or PVPA or something that's, that's really what's doing the work and the salt is just there as a featured ingredient. On the other hand, some products are loaded with salt to give this effect. So take a look at your ingredient list. If salt isn't one of the first couple ingredients, it's probably not a true salt spray. You can see how a product like this would come out of the brains of marketing people, right? Because uh, somebody goes to the beach right. uh, in the summer and they're at the ocean and they come out and their hair's going to absorb some of the salt from the ocean and then their hair looks a certain way from the beach. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it exactly works that that way or you're going to get that same beach benefit, but that's probably where the product is comes Is this from. just another shameless plug for the vacation we took again? All, all you're doing is pissing off our listeners. <laughs> Oh, you know what? You know it won't piss off our listeners? What's that? To tell them about the latest book that I'm, I'm reading. Okay, we're a little long today, but... Oh, okay. Well, I read a book called The Universe from Nothing by Lawrence Krauss, and okay. it's really good, and it shows that you can create a universe from nothing. And if you go to audibletrial.com slash brains, you can get that book and sign up for a free month. So... Uh, Go check that out. And you'll be helping the beauty brains. Now I feel bad I made you rush through that. It actually sounded like an interesting book. But anyway. Maybe uh, I'll bring it up in the next ad. <laughs> all right. Well, until the next show, everybody, remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. Hey, look at there. Didn't I tell you it was finger licking good? <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken If you want Kentucky Fried Chicken You have to visit me